Welcome to the In Scripture headquarters, aka a cool office in my house. Um, so we want to bring up some news. We did open a Instagram page, and we we want to thank all the thirty or so people following <laughs> our page. Hey, we're slowly Hold up, growing. Let me check. Let me check. We may we're have thirty six now. Why are you being so down about it, man? Oh, I'm not 37, down. 37. We 37. have thirty seven followers. Uh, believe it or not, I'm going to give you some inside statistics. So when um, Max, who's our editor, um, he sent, he told us how many people listened to one of our episodes. And he was like, um, I remember the first one we had 80 something. And then I was shocked. And then our most recent one, I think he said we were 30 something. And when I read that, I was like, man, that's to me, that's 30 people who, who listened to something about a book that they probably didn't think about before. And for some, something for me, it was pretty amazing. I mean, 30 people to others might not be a big number, but to me, 30 people, dude, that's a youth. That's a youth size at most churches, you know what I mean? Um, so, well, we know four people of those are probably our wives. And <laughs> no, you know, my wife you, doesn't listen. You do some other little subtractions <laughs> Why you gotta call her out like I that? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing for us that she doesn't. We're, we're super excited, and I think each one of us, um, we're just super excited to share the word. Um, to us talking about it, you know, amongst our, just talking about it amongst our wives or amongst our family is one thing, but having friends that we can spread the gospel with is just the most amazing thing. Um, you know, like Mark mentioned in one of our podcasts, we're not theologians here teaching scripture. We're reading it with you guys. We're trying to bring up and bring up some points that we researched, but we're really just trying to interpret what scripture says. Um, and it's good to have, you know, four different views talking about things, and we're really excited. But our Instagram page is for you guys to uh, talk to us, message us. I know uh, Mark has gotten a few messages. I know um, my wife from uh, posting us got a few messages and questions. Um, I know, you know, there's a lot of things people want to ask. Feel free to ask. We're all here. We want them to learn together. We want to talk together. So Instagram is a way for us to kind of um, get our message out there. Yeah, and just to add to that, we've discussed this before that um, if we have, you know, uh, hopefully a large number of questions that we're planning to do a questions and answers kind of podcast someday. And, you know, questions can be anything. It could be about us. It could be about Bible. It could be about the podcast, our ministry, or what we're trying to do here. So it could be about anything, but hopefully we can, with, with the, the more questions we have, obviously the more interesting it's going to be. So keep them coming. Yeah. And there is a rough climate. I think nowadays, you know, today we're recording, um, the election still not decided. Um, by the time this episode's released, who knows, we might know who the president is or not. So, um, I would say there's a lot of, I think, distractions going around, especially around, um, Christian people. And, you know, there's a lot of worries. Uh, there's a lot of, God wants this. I know God wants that. Um, there's a lot of these things that we're trying to, we're trying to put God into places that we want him to be. Um, the important thing is, is we should pray for who's in charge, right? They're put there by God, who's in charge, but what outcome comes out, we shouldn't let that affect our life. Um, thinking about this, I was studying the Old Testament and if you guys ever open up the book of Judges, it, it starts talking about when Israel's nation starts having some type of leadership that's uh, put there by God, but is human. 
Um, and I think that's one of the, you know, beginnings of the, of the nation. And Judges 2, Judges 3, Judges 4, anytime you open up those scriptures, you read the same words. And um, those words, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapters starting with those words, um, you know, it kind of touches you because you further read into the chapter. Either the nation repents, asks for forgiveness, begs for forgiveness, God forgives them, and all they do is they go back to doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And I thought to myself, I don't see that being different today. You know, history tends to repeat itself. We're all sinful humans, right? We have these qualities. And if we don't have Christ in our life, all we're going to want to do is evil in the sight of the Lord because we don't have God. We don't know what our path is. And I think oftentimes um, we're surprised that people don't want conservatism. People don't want Bible in schools. People don't want all these qualities that we need. We just want more freedom. We want to do what we want to do and live this life that's not scripture-based. And if the popular vote goes to somebody who has progressive views that are against scripture, how is that surprising to us? I mean, you're looking at you're looking at a nation, and not only the United States, the whole world, the nation, people are turning away from Christ because of all these attacks from all around, right? The media, social networks, all these distractions. And all it is, is, is Satan doing his job. That's what he's been doing, you know, uh, trying to bring people down, trying to turn people away and distract. Um, so that's kind of some of my thoughts about, you know, the election and things going on. I think that with this election and everything, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a true test to, to what our faith is really put in. And, and if it's a true, it, it really shows whether our faith is, put, faith is put in our systemic beliefs or, or what we may see on Instagram or something like that, like what pages we follow it. Because a lot of people seem to put their faith in those, those kinds of things. And I think as true believers, we know that if you put your faith in anything but Christ, you're going to be hurt. Like eventually it will come back to bite you. And, and that this, this election, this, this season of uncertainty, that's, that's what I feel like is more, more applicable here to believers, not, not the politics behind it, but the fact that we're in a place right now where people just don't know what to expect. I mean, even non-believers are scared right now because they don't know what to expect. They don't know what's going to happen to their economy. They're, they don't know what's going to happen to their job tomorrow. They don't know what's going to happen because of COVID. They don't know if they're if their work is going to last through this this shutdown or lockdown, they don't know what's going to happen if there's going to be a lockdown. Uncertainty is something that everybody deals with. And right now, especially right now, we're dealing with that uncertainty. And this is where true belief in Christ, if it's in you, it'll get you through it. But those people who don't have that belief, they're not going to be able to make it through. They're going to look for excuses. They're going to look for, for ways out. They're going to look for little little things that can maybe help them feel good about themselves or justify their actions if it's if it's the wrong actions or poor actions. And and this is a really important time for us to really reconsider where we're putting our faith. And if we're waking up every single day and going to sleep every single day in fear, then then maybe we're not trusting in our God because our God is above all of this. Yep. And and that's something that personally like I I have had that kind of revelation with myself in this past like week that, you know, I, all everybody around me is, is scared. Everybody around me is panicking. 
you know, you're getting texts all day. You're getting notifications all day. You're like constantly checking the election updates. And like, it's just this atmosphere of fear and panic. And at one point I'm just like, man, do I not believe in a God who's bigger than this? Cause he is. So why am I, why am I letting myself doubt in him? Why am I letting my faith fall away from him? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned faith because, you know, we know that no matter what happens, it's, it's God is still in control. Right. And it's not, it's not an excuse for us, you know, not to do our part. If you're a citizen to not vote or anything like that. But we, like you said, it's, it's what you place your faith in. If you place your faith into the system, like you said, you're eventually going to be disappointed, but you will never be disappointed if you place your faith in God. Right. Interesting thought that came to me, even, um, like Alex, you were saying that no matter who's going to win, we still put our faith in God if it's, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans. But the uh, what story popped into my head is uh, Jesus Christ when he's being persecuted or crucified or when he's standing in front of uh, the uh, Pontius Pilate. Uh, he told them, you know, like I have the power to set you free or do whatever it is I want with you. And Jesus acknowledges that. But he also says that if it wasn't for God that gave you this power, right? I'm paraphrasing, but he tells him that it's God, the one that gave you power, even though such a godless nation, God still put him there, right? Still put him in control. And so, like you guys said, I agree that faith is a very key factor, not just to politics, not just to, you know, our everyday lives, but it is the key to our salvation as well. And a prime example of faith and a man that talks a whole lot about faith, our transition into our book that we're studying, our man, Mr. James. Yeah. I don't want to say Mr. James, sorry, <laughs> but our um, biblical fi- figure, James. Uh, the So James is an interesting figure, and we wanted to clear up who the four Jameses were of Scripture. Because going to this James, it's important to kind of know the others, just so when you do guys do stumble upon it, you don't confuse yourself. And depending on what translation of the Bible you read, you might run into the name Jacob. So a quick clarification. Um, the James we're going to talk about is the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of Jude. Um, he wrote the book of James. The other three Jameses is the James brother of John, son of Zebedee. And then there's the James, the son of Alphaeus, who was another one of the 12 disciples, and James, the father of uh, the other apostle, Judas. And you can look these things up in Luke 6.16 and in Matthew 10.3, Matthew 10.2, um, just to kind of do your own research. But going forward, we want to talk about James, the half-brother of Christ. We know that looking at the Greek name Jacobus and the Hebrew name Yaakov, um, translated into English, it's Jacob. Uh, just like I mentioned, depending on what translation you read, um, it might be a little different. We know in the Russian Bible, it's Yaakov. It's Jacob, yeah. Yeah. So, but we're going to talk about the writer of this letter, right? And we know that our James is the son, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the half-brother of Christ. Um, But going into, you know, even verse one, the way he describes who Jesus Christ is, he never, we're going to touch up on this, he never really mentions that he's the brother of Christ as if it's a title. Yeah, which is interesting, which... For me, myself, I'm, I made some notes about his characteristics, about who he was. Um, like you already mentioned, the fact that he's the half-brother. And for anyone that's interesting, you can look that up in Matthew 13, 55 and Galatians 1, 19. 
Um, but like you said, he never uses that as an authoritative type gesture for people to to listen to him, right? Like, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm James, the son of, not the son, sorry, <laughs> the brother of Jesus Christ. You guys better listen to me, I guess I'm saying, right? We don't see that. We don't, we, he doesn't even men, there mention him, the fact that his relationship to Jesus Christ were in the opposite, um, where you guys, are, we're going to read here in a few minutes, just but just to point in chapter one, he says, servant of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's a servant, a slave, pretty much almost a or nobody. Or a bond servant. Yeah, pretty much a nobody. Like he doesn't even own himself, right? He's owned by God to do his will. And to me, that shows a great characteristic of him, of him being humble, of his humility. But we also know that he, uh, if you read uh, several chapters in uh, the book of Acts, like Acts 15, Acts 12, we know that he uh, was one of the bishops or leaders of the Jerusalem church. Uh, his ministry was pretty much to the church. He was not like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter that traveled around the countries and evangelized or nothing. He was more a local kind of guy. But we know that he, it's, he had more of a pastoral type role. So he definitely had the authority to, you know, to teach. He definitely had the authority to write a letter. And uh, supposedly he didn't believe in Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah at first. If you read Matthew 13, 55, uh, where he, where Jesus is being rejected in Nazareth, it says that even his brothers didn't believe him. Which key fact, in case anybody know, Jesus had more than one brother. If you read that same story, um, Matthew thirteen, I think it starts at uh, verse fifty-three through fifty-eight. It says that James, Jesus had several brothers, like he mentioned James, Judas, Joseph, and Simon, and then it also says that he had sisters. Uh, it doesn't give us the names of sisters, but apparently. Uh, Jesus had a lot of siblings, which is something that you don't really hear about, but just a cool fact. And uh, just to kind of, you know, I don't want to end it on a sad note about James, but uh, he was a martyr, uh, Christian. He was martyred for his faith, for his belief. Uh, it's not mentioned in, in scripture, but if you look up some historical documents, you can find evidence of his death. Uh, supposedly it was around AD 62, but he was pretty much thrown off a, a temple stoned and then beaten to death for his faith. Um, so that's all about just kind of James, who he was, you know, his authoritative state in terms of being able to write, teach us. And we're gonna start going into what he has for us. Uh, so uh, we're gonna probably read the first seven verses. Mark, you wanna read, or first eight verses. Mark, you wanna go ahead and read that for us? Yeah, before I read, do you guys wanna know what I, um Prepping for this podcast, for this, you know, these couple episodes that we're going to be talking about, James. Do you guys want to know what the most, the thing that I liked the most when I was reading through it? I loved how so much of what he talks about is is practical. It's stuff that we can apply to our day-to-day lives. And the whole book of James, when you read through it, you realize that there's not a lot of like deep godly doctrine involved. Like you're, there are some moments where where he'll start talking about who God is, what God expects out of us, like those those kinds of doctrinal things. But for the most part, James is talking about just the practical way that we get to live our lives as believers. And what I really love about that is, as I was reading through it, I realized that the book of James makes it very clear that even to the most experienced or or seasoned believer there is just so much more that we can work on. I mean, reading through James in the first couple chapters alone, we're talking about wealth. 
and being poor. We're talking about trials under God. We're talking about not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. We're talking about judging each other. We're talking about pride. We're talking about all these things that personally, it's it's sad for me to think how many of them I mess up at, even though you know I, I'm not exactly like a new Christian. I've been saved for, for a, a bit of time now, but no matter who you are, I think reading through the book of James just shows you at a practical level, at a day-to-day level, how much we can really improve, how much better we can strive to be. So with that in mind, I, I just want us to take that, take that perspective as we head into this book to just understand that there's so much for us to learn here. There's so much for us to apply to our day-to-day lives. There's so much great verses here where it's like the perfect verse for you to just take it, screenshot it, and just keep repeating it all day. I love doing that. I like finding like a great verse and just repeat it all day, all day, just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And then you end up remembering it. You end up really understanding it. You end up, what's that word? Contemplating on it all day. And like James is filled with those kinds of like screenshot verses, you know? And no matter how many times I think you read James or you listen to James, it's really hard to even remember all the things he talks about. Because Because there's there's so so much. Yep. And there's so many different categories that he talks about. So I'm really excited to start this. I, I'm really excited to see what what you guys have to say about it because, again, it's one thing for me to just read it by myself and think to myself, but I'm excited to hear what perspective you guys have. So we're going to read the first eight verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read the first eight verses of chapter one, and we're going to go through it, and we'll see how far we can get through it today. So James chapter one, verse one. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, I count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to you, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, that's that's a lot to unpack in just just eight verses. We want to kind of bring up, reading the New Testament um, is kind of a big change, I think, coming from the Old Testament. Old Testament has a lot of historical um, data. You know, it's talking about the foundation to Christ, and it's talking about the Israelite nation and how significant lineage is and the things people did and then how they got judges. From judges, they moved on to getting a king, and there's so much historical data, but it it really focuses on a time frame. It focuses on a nation. It focuses on characters, and it talks about them, talks about what they did, how they lived. But once you flip that page, you you know, Christ comes to earth, he resurrects, and then you get the New Testament. Now you're reading letters, and you're reading letters that are from, um, whether they're from apostles or from um, other characters, but these letters are, are to a nation or to a city. And these letters are to us. They're really to us. And in these letters, there's so much. So we kind of talked about how even the first chapter of James has so much information, but that's because he's writing a letter and he's writing a letter to talk about a few qualities. And these qualities, we need to check ourselves. And I think right away, we want to dive into verse one. 
we see the greeting from James. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right there, I think to myself, bondservant of God. Um, he, Knowing that James was the half-brother, he knew he was the half-brother of Jesus. But he makes his self-introduction as all the more significant because he doesn't proclaim himself James, brother of Jesus. He proclaims himself as what? A servant, a bondservant of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does he put himself in the frame or in the box of the servant, he puts Christ as another box, that he's a servant of Christ. There's so much to Jesus because Jesus is the creator, the almighty. And I think it's important to have that, I want to call it a little sense of humility maybe. I I really like... You're, you're pointing out how he kind of puts Jesus in its own little like specific box. He, he kind of puts him on a pedestal. Right, not as though, a brother. Which, exactly, but that's creator. what's interesting though because his name was always his name growing up with them because they're brothers. Here, what's interesting though is he adds that Lord Yep. and that's what changes it. That's what makes you know that James no longer looks at him like my brother. That Oh, that's Jesus, my brother. Now this is Lord. It's a whole other level. And you can see that James has a different perspective of him because again, no longer does he look at him as just another guy who he grew up with, his brother. Now, this is a guy who he understands. He, he himself experienced the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now he no longer thinks of him as just that. He looks at him way. as the Lord. That's the only way you know who God is. You need that. He, he showed that separation. I really hated to kind of use the word separation because... We don't ever want to separate ourselves from Christ, but he's using a separation to, to, to say who he is, who we are, and to say who God is. And you brought up the fact that growing up, um, you know, there's a lot of sermons out there to kind of give you the perspective of what it's like growing up. But, you know, John MacArthur had this sermon of growing up with Christ. And it really made me think, think about your siblings today. And you're growing up with your siblings and you have these views towards your siblings and your siblings have views towards you. But growing up with a perfect child who never sinned, that is an experience of all itself. And I can't imagine, the Bible, the scripture doesn't say all the things that James saw Jesus do or that he went through. You know, there's a lot of speculations of, of the miracles Jesus did and stuff like that. But but J- James definitely saw Jesus grow up, to, right? They grew up together. But what blows my mind is now he accepts Christ. He understands that Christ is Lord. And um, through that, he puts that separation. Look, this is the Lord. This is God. And I am James. That's, that's all it is, a bondservant. So that's the first step. You know, people ask, what's my will for, what, what's God's will in my life? Why am I here? You need to go back. You need to reverse and think about, do you have that understanding of who you are and who God is? Because that's where it starts. And it's and it's amazing to me that James starts it in this because that's the foundation is realizing that you're a servant, that you're a bondservant, and God is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think to go a little further in, in verse one, he later, he continues to write, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. I think it's important to note that James historically is considered one of the very first books of the New Testament that was like physically written. It was the first one that was written. 
And so in, in, during this time, we understand that there were no churches established. There was no church for him to send it to. As you read through the New Testament, like Paul is the, the go-to guy in the New Testament. And we see that very often Paul addresses his letters to a specific church. And that's what he's talking about in Corinthians. That's, he's talking to a specific group of people who live in Corinth. That's what, that's what they do in the New Testament. They're writing letters to each other. It's, it's either encouraging letters or disciplinary letters. Here, there are no churches yet established. Right. And so he's writing to everybody, which further explains how his message that he's trying to, you know, he's trying to convey in these, what, five chapters. It's not anything specific because he's not talking to anybody specific. He's talking to just believers, just people who believe what we've been, what we had just been talking about, what he believes now in Christ, what he believes that Christ isn't just another guy, that he is the Lord, and he's writing to anybody who's willing to listen. And I think that's such a awesome place for us as believers. Again, whether you're a first time believer, this is an awesome place to start. And even if you've been a believer for a long time, I think it's an awesome book to revisit on a regular basis because of how practical it is to just being a good person, to just being a believer. And I think that's what, you know, we're going to get into that right now with verse two. Do you have anything else to add before we go on? No, I think uh, verse two kind of steps into um, trials and, and, and qualities and wisdom. I think reading verse two, uh, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into the divers of temptation or... Um, various trials, right? Yeah, my, my translation says various trials. And it says that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Just stopping right there. So count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Um, I think James regards trials as inevitable. And he kind of says that when... Um, and when not if you fall into various trials, but at the same time that there's occasions for joy and not discouraged, um, that we can count it all joy in the midst of trials because they are used to produce patience. That's what trials do. Everybody's going to have trials. Um, but what are you going to do with those trials? I know, you know, a lot of people sometimes take trials and they think they can't handle them or they get into this um, state of sometimes even depression. I feel like, you know, that constant struggle, that constant fight. But what you got to do is you have to give joy a peace. You have to give joy a place in your trials because through those trials, you produce patience. And just reading verse two, I, I think James kind of makes that a bold statement. I think what's really interesting here, and again, we don't really know for sure. We can, I mean, we can make assumptions and I'm sure there's theologians and historians out there who make assumption assumptions of what what James profession was you know like there was only a lot of there wasn't a plethora of things they can do back then yeah, as far as work is concerned but it's interesting that it seems like James knows how to write a book properly because if you anybody who knows how to re, who you know who enjoys reading books on a regular basis anybody who enjoys writing knows that a good book or a good essay, for example, this is something we all learned this in like sixth grade, you know, even if you dropped out in high school, like you, you should know this. You learned this at a very early time that if you're writing an essay, if you're writing a book, you always started off with the introduction. You always started off with something called a, a preface, a preface, whatever you want to call it. The whole point of that is to introduce the subject of the whole book that you're going to be writing with the essay. You're introducing your theme. You're introducing the topic that you're, that you're going to be breaking down. 
That's exactly what James is doing here in these first couple of verses. He takes the whole book and he summarizes it up and he kind of brings up the subject of trials in our lives. And he, he prefaces this whole book where he goes into this, he goes into talking about, like I was saying before, about pride, about judgment, about our tongue, how it's untamable, how, we, how much trouble we get into because of the things that come out of our mouth. So much of these trials that we go through in our life, and he starts it off with these first couple of verses. It's like he's, he's getting us ready for what's going to happen later on in this book. And he's like, listen, guys, I know. Trust me. I get it. I get it. There will be those trials. You're going to have those moments where everything falls apart. Like Alex was already saying, like, you're going to have those moments where, I mean, I guess depression is the, the word you would use to describe it because we all have those moments. And the truth of the matter is, even if you're not having it right now, that doesn't mean that you're safe. Like it could happen to any of us at any time for any reason. And the point is though, you need to be prepared for those moments. You need to understand that those are a possibility that Christ never promised us an easy life. If anything, he promised us the opposite, that if you truly want to follow me, if you want to call me Lord, the way James does, then guess what? You're going to have a hard life. You're going to have trials. And if your goal is to follow me, if your goal is to be with me in heaven one day, you'll be able to say, I count it all as joy. Because maybe at the moment, I don't understand why it's happening. But in the long run, I understand that it's for the ultimate purpose of being with Christ one day. And that's why James ties it into patience. Because that's truly what it takes as a believer. You know, you can compare this to like little children where a, a father will discipline them. A father will point them in the right direction because the father is 50 years old and the kid is 15. And so the father understands a little bit more, you know, like I'm assuming the father has a little bit more wisdom about what's better for that 15-year-old who thinks they know everything. We're the 15-year-old in this situation. God knows better than us. And just because we're going through a season where, you know, we might fall, we might have those trials or temptations, we need to understand that he knows better. And if we trust in him, if we can have that patience, then we'll have that joy eventually. And that God will give us that joy. Even if it's not on this earth, we'll get it. We'll get it in heaven then, but with him. Patience is kind of one of those things. So we see we see um, the issue, right? And the issue is um, various trials. If we kind of box this out into its own sections, right, to kind of break this down, it's important to break down. Um, when you break down a verse, when you break down an idea that that somebody is writing, you have to, breaking it down makes it easier for you to understand it, in my opinion. So we see um, it talks about trials. And first thing you might think to yourself, well, if I'm going through a trial, it's easy to say, hey, just put some joy in your life and your trial will be in the back of your mind. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, one of these steps that you conquer trials, and James says it right here, is faith produces patience. So patience is that keyword you have to focus on. Um, and patience is an important thing because whether it comes to our relationship, you know, with our spouse, our relationship with our friends, patience is one of those things that's so important because if you take patience out, you want things to happen right now. And if they're not happening, you're thinking, why aren't they happening? This is so terrible. And you're letting other things get in here. But it says that 
testing of your faith produces patience. So if you have patience, um, I think you can successfully test your faith and say, well, I believe that God's got a plan and he's going to take care of this. But here's, here's one thing I want to kind of stress is you have to understand who you are and you're kind of in a space in this, in this battle in the world, right? And God puts us, we're, we're like an army for God. Oftentimes that's how I think about it. We got work to do, you know, we got to put on our armor. We got work to do and we got to get out there. So when you get out there, when you work for God and you do these awesome works and you stay busy serving the Lord, um, trials and all those other things, they're kind of just a stepping stone and you get over that stone, you get over that speed bump, and you just keep going. Um, but you have to have patience. And, and and what's interesting is that James, going along with what you're saying, James doesn't pop this up in his in his book as if it's like a random surprise. He doesn't like, guess what? You want to call Jesus Lord? You're going to go through trials. It's not like it's a surprise. Verse 3, he starts it off by saying, knowing that the testing, as in you know, you knowingly, having faith in Christ, knowing that the testing of your of your faith, knowing that that patience will build that faith, you know it. And that's what he's trying to make clear here. And that's something that we need to make sure that we don't, that we don't do that to ourselves spiritually, that we don't, like Alex was saying, that our spirituality is a warfare. There's a war going on right now for our soul. And, and it's so much deeper than we could ever imagine. It's so much more than just than just guns and, and bombs and what's going on in the world. It's so much deeper than that. There's a war going on for our hearts right now. And if we are willing to just forget about it or pretend like everything is okay, we're already one step behind. It's something that, you know, just to bring up personal examples, not personal, just from, from real life. Pretty often I hear youth members, usually it's younger youth members, but you'll be surprised. Sometimes older people complain about it. Pretty often you hear them complaining about when preachers have, quote, quote, depressing sermons because all they talk about is sin. And for the longest time, I was sympathetic towards people like that. And I, I kind of felt the same way. Like, man, we, we, we worship a God of love. Like, why don't we talk about that day and night? And that's true. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's accurate. We do worship the God of love. He is love. He's not just the God of love. He is love. So, yeah. If you want to talk about that all the time, talk about it. Nobody's stopping you. But sin is very real. These trials that James is talking about, those are very real trials. And we as believers, like he says in verse 3, we need to be knowing of it. We need to be knowing of it because when you know of it, then you can prepare for it. You can prepare yourself spiritually for when those trials occur because they will. They might not be here right now in your life, but they will happen and, and I like to compare this to, I worked in, I worked in a gym for a couple of years. Um, it was actually a UFC gym. So there's a lot of fighting going on there, mixed martial arts. And I definitely don't condone believers fighting, but you know, I was doing it as like a, as a sport, you know, just putting on some gloves and just very lightly sparring with people. And one of the most important things that you learn when you start fighting is that you need to mentally prepare yourself for that moment when you're standing in a ring and there's another guy with gloves on and his goal is to knock you out. That's it. To he, make you fall. To make you fall. That's his goal. And you have to prepare yourself mentally. You have to know what you're getting into. You have to be prepared. 
And that's the same thing with spiritual warfare. It's the same thing that we go through spiritually. When these trials come, you have to prepare yourself. That's why it's good to remind ourselves of how tough life really is. It's good to hear those words. It's good to hear sermons about preachers telling us that sin is everywhere. Yes, it might be a little, it might be a little depressing or scary, but that's reality. That's what life is as a believer. It's not always rainbows and sunshine. It's going to be hard, and it's good to remind ourselves of that. It's good to remind ourselves of how hard it is to walk with God. It's good to remind ourselves that sin is everywhere because that's when you come prepared for that moment when trial comes. That moment when, when life hits you, you can, you can stand a chance because you have Christ with you, because you've done the, the proper research, you've, you've done the proper studying of his word, and so you're prepared to fight against the devil because you've got God's word behind you. And that's, I mean, that's what we're doing here. That's why we're reading his word. That's why we're breaking it down. I like to ask just a simple question to anybody, right? What's the first thing you do when you fall? You got to get back up. That's the number one thing that you're supposed to do when you fall. And it's interesting to notice that it doesn't say when you go into temptations or trials. It says when you fall. It's you're plunged. You you fell down. It's going to be something that's, it might hit hard. It might hit hard. But there's a way out. And there's a way out. And James here talks about it. And when he brings up patience, you know, this word, reading James, the word patience has really the definition of it changed in my life. Um, I, I read I read this in, in, interesting article on patience. But when it comes to scripture, um, patience is not a passive waiting. Patience is an active endurance, an acting endurance, active endurance. And what that means is, I read this somewhere, that um, it's not a quality that helps you sit quietly. And and, it talked about, you know, like a doctor's waiting room. You're sitting there quietly. That's not patience. Patience is the quality that helps you with endurance. It's to, patience something that helps you finish a marathon. So when you think of it that way, that's the patience James is talking about. And, you know, he mentions that um, knowing this, that our trying of your faith worketh patience, meaning um, testing of your faith is what grows your patience. You need that patience. You ever Uh, think of it that way? I like that. I, I honestly never thought of it that way. I never thought of it as an active thing because... I remember certain moments in my life where I was asking God for something and, and you know, and, and it, these were good things. These were things that any any person at one point in their life will be asking God for these things. And and I remember, I remember knowing, it's almost like I knew that I needed to be patient. But to me, the idea of patience was so negative because like you said, like my idea of patience was passive. To me, patience meant I was doing nothing. Yeah, when patience this, like you need to slow down. Yeah, like you need to stop doing That's anything. Not but right. the way James is talking about it here is as if it's an active quality you can have. Like yep. patience is an active thing. Like you should actively be patient in your faith and, and in the trials that you're going through because they'll produce that faith eventually and you'll grow through it. And I think this is something that, you know, again, we're, we're both fairly young in our, in our life, but I'm, I'm sure if you come up to, to some 70 or 80 year old grandma or grandpa who have been through, so much more than us as far as trials go spiritually. I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing, that that sometimes we blow up something that happens in our life to just way bigger proportions than we need to. You know, and sometimes we let one bad day just get 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 into our heads and we just 
And, and I'm sure if you talk to those older people, they'll tell you that patience is so important that in the long run, when you look, when you're looking 80 years, patience through that one tough week in your life, having that faith in God, that in that one week of toughness, or even if it's a year, think about it. Even if it's a year, if you're living 80 years in this life, a year technically isn't even that much, but in the moment, I understand it can feel like so much, but having that active patience. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. And it also, just reading again, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We see another word, faith. Um, faith could be talked about for hours, but let's focus on faith that's talked about here. Um, faith is tested through trials. It's not produced by trials. Um, faith is not something that you make from trials. It's it's something that's tested. And just when I think of tested and just checking yourself, I kind of think of, you know, there's certain qualifications that a person can have in, in, a, in a certain job or career that he needs to get tested on it in order to check if his uh, mental state is still there. And same thing when it comes to scripture, I think God needs sometimes to send us these trials in order to test our faith. See, we test and check ourselves, see if it's still there. Trials reveal what faith we do have, and not because God doesn't know how much faith we have, but so that our faith will be kind of evident to ourselves and those around us, um, which is an important quality. I, I feel like proving the evidence of your faith is important. Are we showing God that we have faith? At the end of the day, I think God knows whether we have faith or not. We have to uh, understand where we are, what position we are in life. Um, this reminds me of a, of a passage we have brought up a couple times within just our personal talks. And I'm sure we brought it up during maybe some of the previous episodes. Uh, going through one of our Bible studies, we're going through the book of Luke. And, and we read that passage about how the disciples come to Christ and, and, and they're kind of complaining to him about how they couldn't, they couldn't, do some sort of miracle, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what the miracle is because the point that Jesus tries to make later is he, he explains to them how, how if they had the faith, the size of a mustard seed, they'd be able to move mountains. And again, the point, the point of what Jesus says, isn't about the miracle they wanted to do. It wasn't about the magnitude of the miracle they were trying to accomplish. The point that Jesus was trying to make is that it's not about how much faith you have. It's about if you have that faith to begin with. And if you have that faith, true, genuine faith in Christ, then you could do anything because it's through him, because he's given you that power. And right now, I feel like I feel like something that we often shine over, you know, whether you're talking about the way churches preach or, or the, the words that we hear is the fact that people are going through very different situations in their life at different different areas and and i'm sure that there's someone listening here right now who who could be in the best place in in their life they could be going through absolute amazing times but then there could be someone else who's listening and they're going through the worst time of their life right now i mean and, and it doesn't matter what they're going through like it doesn't matter if to me it doesn't seem like a big deal we all know what it's like when that one thing happens in our life that just breaks our heart and we could all be going through those trials and the point that James is trying to make here, the thing that Alex was trying to say, the things that we've been talking about is that if that faith is there, if that faith in Christ is there, then you, then there is no doubt that you're going to make it through. 
Is it difficult? Yes. And that's why James brings up patience because it, it's going to require that active patience. It could take some time for you to, to see the fruits of your patience. It might take some time to see God's reply in your life. But having that faith in him, have that faith. Whoever may be listening to this, who, who is lacking that faith right now, who is in a place where they don't know what God is trying to do to them. They don't know what God's goal is for them. Have that faith. Have that faith to stay strong, to stay near and dear to him and understand that what he's going to do through you is going to be so much more than if he would have just skipped all the problems and got you to the end. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of, um, I think we dragged this subject out to our personal life today, uh, trying to put it into our perspective. But just going back to James and the context and um, who he was writing to, um, verse 4 kind of um, completes this topic of patience. And it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And um, why I said to go back to context is because when we talked about temptations, uh, most likely he James understood the persecutions that would inevitably be coming for every person that preached Christ. Um, whether it's um, what's going to happen, you know, um, to um, Stephen, you know, and, and, and others that were martyred uh, for Christ. I think that's what he was kind of talking about is that's the trials that are coming. And, you know, we talked about in our life, we might have trials, which are, in my opinion, sometimes so little compared to the ultimate trial is somebody persecuting you for your belief for preaching the truth. Um, and that's the ultimate trial. And I think James is kind of preparing, right? He's preparing for whoever's going to read this. And uh, most likely it's the Jewish Christians or Gentiles, whoever's reading. He's preparing them that your trials are going to be um, to the point where you're going to be talking about Christ and people are going to persecute you. And those are scary things. I, you know, I thought to myself, Everybody talks about, especially nowadays, a lot. There's a lot of talk, a lot of worry going on about the end times, you know. And it's a, it's a, it's a crazy subject to think about. But I always thought to myself, if you know, this scary vision that somebody is going to say, um, you either say you don't believe, or we're going to do harm, whether to you or to your family. And James is preparing pretty much every Christian that that might happen to you, you know, whether it's today or in a few years, if you preach Christ, there's going to be an opposition against you and you need to be prepared for that. So check your faith, check your faith. And that's all it's talking about. Um, check your patience. What are you going to do in tough times? Um, and I think, I don't know if we're going to get beyond verse four today, but you know, just, just it describes what patience is, and you got to let patience, just like it says, let patience have her perfect work. Let patience work with you, work inside of you, so that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And I think what that's talking about is when you realize who you are and um, what, will, what, God, what God's will is in your life and what you need to do, 
you're not going to want anything else. You're not worried about anything else. When you wake up in the morning, you thank God for another day. You thank God for the sunshine. You thank God that you're happy and healthy and that you're able to do more for God because you know your path. What else would you want? You know where you're headed. You know where you're going. You know that Christ came to this earth and died for you and was crucified on the third day and you have that ultimate salvation. What else would you want? See, and that's something that, you know, I feel like as as sad it is, as it is sometimes, you know, us believers, we need to be reminded that. I, I Personally, you know, I mean, I think to anybody who's listening, you know, it, it might seem like we know what we're talking about and, and we're, we're super spiritual or something, but we're not. And, and we stumble and fall. And, and very often I'm, I'm positive. I don't want to speak for the other brothers, but I'm positive that we all have those days where we wake up and it's just a bad day. Like, and, and, and we're just off, we're on the wrong wave. And we need to be reminded ourselves sometimes that our faith is in something bigger than our, our bad day. And that God gives us an opportunity and, and God, and thank the Lord that right now we're not going through persecution right now. Nobody is stopping us from talking about his word. Nobody is stopping us from praising his name, from worshiping the Lord. Nobody is. And, and that's why we need to be reminded of that. We need to remind ourselves. We need to remind each other. We need to consistently uplift each other because, because that day might come and, and God willing, when it does come, we'll be ready. And God willing, when it does come, we're not going to look back and regret thinking, man, we had so many opportunities to live a faithful life when it was easy. And now when we're persecuted for our faith, this is where we want it. This is where we start realizing what we had before we lost it. I feel like that's such a, that's such a powerful message. It's such a good reminder for all of us to just accept those blessings that we have. Just understand that the Lord has given us so much and he gives us so many opportunities to, to live a happy and joyful life with the friends we have around us, the family we have around us, the church we're a part of. Of course, there's, there's problems everywhere. There's problems with the politics in America right now. There might be problems with politics in your church. There might be problems with, with family in your personal life. There might be relational problems with you. But I can guarantee you that the solution to every single one of those problems is you and everybody involved growing in their faith in Christ. And if people focused on that, if I personally focused on that in my own life, I know for a fact that a lot of the problems that I caused for myself will start going away because the only problem was me. And the more I focus on Christ, the more I compare myself to Christ and try to become like him, the more I'll start doing the right things and I'll stop messing up as much because it'll be more of him living in me and as opposed to just me pushing myself out. So just kind of wrap, wrapping up and just kind of doing a quick review. Already so much information. James, half-brother of Christ, has that humility in the beginning of his letter, a servant of God. That's who he makes himself, and then he puts Lord Jesus Christ that he's serving him. And he, he sends this greeting letter and says to the 12 tribes, and they're scattered abroad. And he, he writes, my brethren, first thing he starts out with is, count it all joy when you fall into trials. In King James, it says diverse temptation. 
Count it all joy. Put joy into your trials. And knowing this, you are testing your faith, and faith works patience. And at the end, let patience have her perfect work. Um, and that you may be perfect and wanting nothing. So just right there, let those things kind of sink in into your mind. And, and if there's anything you could do, you know, to anybody who's listening to us is think about your life. Think about some of the trials you might have went through. Even think about some of the trials people are going through. Um, tell them. Tell them about James 1. Just these first four verses. Um, just, the, you know, the last two verses, three and four. Tell them what trials are, what patience is, and what's, what's, a, way to, what's a way to move on. Think about uh, the work you're doing and, and who you are and what's God's will for you in your life. And I think if you bring all those things together, um, you kind of start understanding what James is going to talk about. And that's what we talked about New Testament. Like we have this kind of, I think, I think we have this topic of trials. I think today is what mainly we talked about, right? And how to, how to work through them. And we talked about what patience meant. And we talked about how faith is tested, but all we need to do is pray about it, think about it, and it's coming for every Christian. Every Christian's going to go through trials. If you haven't yet, you will. If you have already, hopefully you've grew stronger from it. And it's perfectly normal. I think that's that's the message we should be getting across here. It's that- not that you sinned. And, you know, sometimes you think, man, why is this happening to me? It must have been because I sinned here or mm-hmm, I did something. Mm-hmm. It might be happening to you because you need to test your faith. Yeah, it could just be God trying to help you to grow. And and again, and I think it's it's not always correlated to sin. Sometimes it's just us being people. And and I think the more you read scripture, especially when you read the New Testament and you when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read how Christ himself acted when he walked on this earth, I think we realize he kind of he's kind of prepared for us to be not the smartest. <laughs> to say it nicely, like not necessarily for us to sin, but he's almost prepared for us to have a lack of belief or a lack of faith. And, and it's almost like he doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't hold us again, hold it against us because we should have faith and we should strive for faith. And I think he wants us to strive for faith, but it's almost like it doesn't surprise him. And when, when you watch Christ living on this earth, when he was on this earth during his ministry, it never surprised him when someone came up to him with a lack of faith. He was always ready for it. And he always, his goal was never to to discipline that person, to put him down and to make their life even worse. His goal was always to bring them to faith. And a passage I just wanted to read and just kind of close it off from, from myself, at least just closing remarks. Um, it's actually written in the book of Mark. Um, in chapter nine, I'm not gonna read the whole passage or the whole story. I'm just gonna read two verses, but a little context. Jesus is doing his usual thing. He's teaching and a father brings his son to him. And this son, from it says from a very young age, it says from childhood, he had a, a demon in him, an evil spirit living inside a child. And this father brings up, brings his child to Jesus. And he he wants Jesus to heal him. What else do that's what people wanted out of Christ? And it's interesting what Jesus says to him. And it's even more interesting, in my opinion, what the father replies back to Jesus. Jesus says to him, it says in uh, Mark chapter nine, verse 23, Jesus says to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. So he tells this father, if you can believe 
anything is possible. He, he's not even talking about his kid anymore. Jesus is thinking so far beyond what this father thinks is a big issue. And it is a big issue. It's his child. And it's a child who's been struggling with a demon living inside of him for a long time, it says. So that's all valid. And Jesus cares. I know he cares. But Jesus' reply is so much grander than we can even begin to comprehend. But that's not the point. The point, Jesus replies to him, if you believe, all of this is possible. What the father replies really just blows me away. The father tells him, immediately the father of the child cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I had to, <laughs> when I was reading through this passage, I've heard this passage before. I, I've read this passage before. I've heard it preached. But I read through it, and, and for some reason, that verse just caught my eye. Like the, the, the reply of the father really caught my eye. And I started correlating it to what we're talking about here in James as, like I was, as I was preparing for this episode. And I kept reading it. Lord, I believe. I believe. I do. I believe in you. I know you're real. I know you're here. I know you can make those miracles happen. Help my unbelief. And I had this question in my mind. How can he believe and unbelieve at the same time? How is it possible for him to have that belief in Christ, looking him in the eye and tell him, I believe in you, but please help my unbelief. And it, it clicked with me. And I realized it's because just because we're believers, it doesn't mean that we don't have a moment of, of doubt in our life sometimes. It doesn't mean that we're going to have a moment where Faith we, is something that grows. It's something that grows. It's right. progressive. It takes, what do, we, what do we keep talking about? Patience. It yep. takes patience. And this father was was in my opinion, spiritually mature enough. I would call it maturity that he can, he could, it says that he uh, immediately, the father of the child cries out and says with tears, he's looking Christ in the eye and he's crying and he has the maturity to tell him, look, I believe, but right now my, my disbelief is just, it's, it's starting to gnaw at me and I need your help here. And I think that's such a powerful message for us to take no matter what you're going through, if you have that belief, even if you're going through a season where that unbelief is just kind of gnawing at the door, Christ is here for us. He's fighting for us. He wants us to get through it. He wants us to be with him in heaven one day. That's the goal. That's all he's ever wanted. And I think that that's just something that as we continue to go through James, we're going to see all these examples of of again, practical Christianity, ways that we can prepare ourselves to live a more faithful life on this earth, ways that we can build that belief so that there's less and less moments in our life where we have that unbelief. That's what we're going to be going through, James, here. And, and I'm just, honestly, I'm so excited about it right now. I feel like we should keep going, but we're kind of running yeah. out of time. <laughs> when you think to yourself, what's the purpose of this hard time of this trial in my life? The purpose of it is the trying, the test of your faith to work patience. And if you let patience do her work, again, just repeating verse four, let patience do her work. And if you let that happen, you will understand that you need that. Also, you need that active patience. But through that, you'll be perfect and whole and you'll want nothing. So... I think as we wrap it up right now, we're going to pray. And I wanted to add to anybody who's listening, whether we have 
five people listening or, or 35, I think if there's anybody listening who is going through a tough time right now, who is going through a trial, I think me and my brothers here will all agree that we're here for you. And, and we don't want to just say that and then not act upon it. But feel free to to contact us, message us, whether you want to message us personally or you want to message us through our through our Instagram. Tell us, tell us a trial you went through. Tell contact us, us. Let us know what's going on. If you don't want to like give us certain details, you don't have to. We it's it's none of our business to know everything. But if you are going through a difficult time, there's no reason for you to go through it alone. You have people out there who care about you, and and we're those people. We're some of those people who who want to be there for you, who want to pray for you, who want to to help you through the situation. You know, maybe we can't completely solve all your problems for you, but we can at least help. We can be a supporting hand, someone who can who can just encourage you not to give up, not to lose that belief in Christ, to understand that he can do something great in your life. So feel free to contact us. Feel free to message us. Right now, we're going to close off in prayer. Alex, if you could pray. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these amazing four verses that we're able to read. Just understanding who James is, um, the humbling that he's showing through himself and kind of showing the distinction that you are Lord Jesus Christ. And James talks about um, the purpose of a trial and he talked a lot about faith and patience, Lord. Let us think about those qualities in our life and let us think about how we can use those qualities and most importantly, that we need to put joy into our trials, Lord. We need to put joy into our life and understand that serving you, we will we will inquire tri- trials and all kinds, Lord. And we know that James was writing about maybe the possible trials that are coming for those who preached your name back in that day, Lord. But today, we all have trials of our own, Lord. And we ask that you please bless every soul who is in need, who is struggling, who maybe fell into the trial but it's staying down and he doesn't, maybe that person doesn't know how to get back up, Lord. And the first thing you do when you fall is you got to get back up. And through scripture, you show us so many ways to do that, Lord. Please bless every one of those and bless um, this little ministry to further proclaim your word, Lord, and bless those who are listening. And we ask that you please be among us and so that we may serve you and love you. You may be praised. Amen.